Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now on the news hour, it's here. Snow falling and sticking in parts of the province with another winter wallop moving in overnight. And we're expecting a difficult respiratory illness season, so all of the provinces I think are going to be working together. A long-awaited meeting of the ministers. Health ministers nationwide convene in Vancouver as Canada's healthcare system buckles under pressure. And we cannot forget what has happened in the past so that we will not make the same mistake in the future. Sacrifice honored, recognizing the veterans who served our country with a new generation, listening and learning. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Fresh on the heels of destructive wind and heavy rain, it appears winter arrived early on the south coast today with freezing temperatures bringing snow to parts of the lower mainland. A lot of wet snow falling late this morning and early this afternoon in North Vancouver. But it wasn't cold enough for it to stick to the ground in many parts of the lower mainland. It was a different story overnight on Burnaby Mountain, though, where the snow did accumulate, creating some slick road conditions for drivers with a sheet of white blanketing the area before the sun came up this morning. And this early winter wallop comes as many cities are still dealing with the fallout of Friday's powerful windstorm. A large downed tree entangled with electrical wires is still behind caution tape in Burnaby tonight near Willingdon Avenue with some lanes still close to traffic because of fallen debris littering roadways. This is just one example of what hydro crews across the south coast have been dealing with as they work to restore power to the remaining customers still in the dark tonight. As of this morning, BC Hydro says they've restored power to 98% of some 330,000 customers impacted by that wicked windstorm. We had a ton of trees come down, a ton of branches come down, so there was a lot of clearing work that needed to be done to even get access to some of these areas. Um, obviously, we have to uh, travel to places like uh, the Gulf Islands and other islands, so there's ferry issues there too that we've been dealing with. Um, but we are making our way there now, and we just want our customers to know that we really, really appreciate their patients and for people that are still without power, we are on the way. They are a priority and we're hoping to get everybody restored today. Now, the snowfall warning for Metro Vancouver has been lifted, but it's a different story in other parts of southern BC tonight. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell with a lot more winter weather in the forecast, Yvonne, for Vancouver Island specifically. Yeah, we're not out of the clear just yet. Most areas across Metro Vancouver will be higher elevations overnight tonight and leading in towards tomorrow morning. That could see some wet flurries. We've got a heavy pocket of rain right now just towards the eastern areas, but it's the eastern reaches of the island. That'll be an area of concern. We could see the potential between 5 and up to 10 centimeters this season 
evening, we could see localized heavy pockets of snow and then an additional five centimeters for tomorrow. Eastern regions of the island, keep that in mind, especially as we get an overnight leading in towards tomorrow morning. We are still seeing a significant amount of snow accumulating overnight tonight. That'll be for the interior and strong outflow winds. The big weather story that we're following across the province, the north and central coast could see those winds gusts of over 110 kilometers per hour. Windshield feeling closer to minus 20. Now, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, some of the heaviest snowfall is tonight. I'll have those amounts, the timeline, when we'll see a bit of a reprieve coming up very shortly. Sarah. All right, thanks, Vaughn. A few weeks after the civic election, numerous newly elected municipal councils will be sworn in tomorrow. That includes Surrey, Kelowna and Prince George. But it's the incoming city council in Vancouver that was the target of demonstrators today on multiple fronts, with activists putting pressure on the incoming majority council and mayor to tackle the most intractable issues facing the city. Julie Nolan reports. Let's take the streets, folks! A march for change on the eve of Ken Sims' inauguration at Vancouver City Hall. We need something better. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Groups like Vandu or the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users uniting for a call for permanent universal housing on the downtown east side. We may be unfortunate in some ways, but we are still human. Demanding action from the new council, notably the majority ABC Vancouver members after years of stagnation, but... We're not exactly optimistic that this council is going to bring that. So people are out here today to put pressure and start the fight for over the next four years. While ABC plans to put more resources into policing, some say the issue needs a broader focus. It's such a, a big challenge because it is so multifaceted. One political scientist says the problem is layered by a lack of housing options, the effects of homelessness, the ongoing toxic drug crisis, a lack of mental health treatment options and an inability to access shelter. However, this council could gain ground if they work together with other levels of government. If they settle on a, a set of policies that the, they think are going to, to make a real difference, they can go ahead and, and implement those without having to negotiate with uh, councillors from other political uh, perspectives. Meanwhile, Green Party councillor Pete Fry is hopeful that change could finally happen. The reality is, is, is that we're constantly behind the eight ball. We're trying to build new housing. We're going to the feds. We're going to the province to build new housing. But those take two, three, four years to actually materialize. No response from ABC Vancouver, but time will tell how they'll deal with this complex and pressing issue. Julie Nolan, Global News. And the other side of the spectrum focused on transportation today, with cyclists advocating to keep a highly contentious separated bike lane in Stanley Park. But as Grace Key reports, those demonstrators are aware the days for the lane are most likely numbered. We need resilience if we're going to deal with climate change. We need an alternative route for all of you people that want to maintain your physical and mental health over winter. About 100 cyclists gathered at Stanley Park to send a message to the newly elected ABC Park Board Commissioners. They want the bike lanes to stay over the winter. When cyclists need the protection the most, you know, it gets dark earlier, the roads are wet. Uh, it's not true to say that it doesn't matter about having a separated bike lane in place over winter. We still like to ride in the park over winter. By taking it out, it's going to be expensive to take it out for one thing, and uh, it's going to cause a great deal of confusion when it goes back in in the spring in a permanent way. ABC plans on removing the temporary bike lanes in the winter as it works on a plan for a permanent lane. The new plan would be developed using the Stanley Park Mobility Study that looks at access through the park. 
We see less cyclists through the winter. We've had a lot of complaints from, from small business owners in the park, um, as well as people with mobility challenges having trouble accessing the park. Maybe that might be a separated bike lane in some areas or, um, you know, just a shared shared space in other areas. ABC uh, commissioners-elect have been very kind reaching out to me and they do want to have a discussion about this. I'm quite optimistic working with this team. They're very thoughtful and uh, I think they care a lot about Stanley Park. Park Board staff are compiling public feedback on the survey. A final report is expected in the winter. Grace Key, Global News. An alleged violent repeat offender is back in custody tonight after he was arrested just 24 hours after being released from jail on Friday afternoon. 19-year-old Bryce Michael Flores Bevington was arrested Saturday afternoon when Vancouver police say they spotted him breaching his court-ordered release conditions by being near Burrard and Pender Streets, a no-go area for him. Flores Bevington was the subject of a police warning from uh, to the public rather two days ago when he was released on bail last month flores bevington was accused of attacking a 29 year old woman in the lobby of her own apartment building he's also charged in two separate random sexual assaults in july police say flores bevington poses a risk of significant harm to public safety in relation to unprovoked physical and sexual violence against strangers a 53-year-old man accused in a car vandalism spree in Delta last weekend has been released from custody after an earlier arrest in Surrey for breaking windows. Martel Plante was arrested in Delta on October 29th after police say citizens had restrained a suspect who used scissors to vandalize several cars. 19 vehicles between the 11700 block of 84th Avenue and the 8300 block of Scott Road were damaged during the vandalism spree. Plante was released by the courts after he was arrested in Surrey on October 10th for allegedly breaking windows at several businesses. When he failed to show up for court on October 19th, RCMP say a warrant was issued for his arrest. Plante remains in custody, charged with 11 counts of mischief in both incidents. A staffing shortage has prompted the closure of a Vancouver Island Hospital Emergency Department yet again this weekend. The Port Hardy Hospital ER has been closed from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. since Saturday until tomorrow morning because they don't have enough nurses to staff those hours. These closures have become more frequent at the hospital with more than 15 staffing-related closures in the past month alone. Island Health says anyone experiencing a medical emergency should call 911 or go to the Port McNeil Emergency department instead. Medical professionals and patients have long been concerned about the ills of our healthcare system and starting tomorrow the country's health ministers will meet in Vancouver in hopes of finding cures for what ails all of us. Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria now with more on this. Keith, does this really come down to federal funding? What can we expect? Yeah, you know, for a couple of years now, the provinces, provinces have been demanding that Ottawa greatly increase its share of the health care budget pie. When Medicare first started back in the 60s, it was 50-50 uh, proposition between the provinces and Ottawa. Now the federal share has dropped to 22%. The provinces want to see that go up to 35%. That works out to an extra $29 billion a year. This is a campaign that's been going on for the premiers. Now it brings the health, the health ministers together in Vancouver for the first time since the pandemic began. Began, and they're going to be demanding Ottawa step up to the plate. Adrian Dix says if it's a matter of credit, who takes the credit here? He has no problems with giving credit to uh, the federal government if that's what they want, and he has a unique way of explaining that. BC would be prepared to have a meeting at, uh, at, uh, at noon on Boxing Day 
if it was necessary. If the Prime Minister uh, agrees and put forward a proposal to uh, improve the Canada Health Transfer, I'd be happy to stand at the corner of Kingsway and Joyce if they're worried about credit and thank them uh, with a big sign. You know, we're prepared to do what it takes to advance this issue because it's that important for every Canadian, every British Columbian, of course, but every Canadian. So maybe we'll see Minister Dix at that corner soon if we do get, um, they do get a meeting with the Prime Minister. Uh, in any event, the other big issue here, uh, Sarah, is human resources. The turnover in human resources, either through burnout or retirement, is enormous. About 30,000 healthcare workers hired in the last five or six years in BC. An equal number will have to be hired over the next five years. All provinces are facing those challenges as well. Tomorrow's meetings start uh, tomorrow. Uh, first news conference, 1.30. Lots on the agenda, no doubt, to talk about for sure. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Thanks so much, Keith. A national Jewish human rights organization is calling on the province to discontinue holding elections on Saturdays. But I Breath Canada wants to see a day that better accommodates all religious groups. Currently, voters head to the polls on the third Saturday in October every four years for provincial elections. And while local bylaws allow municipalities to establish their own voting regulations, the final municipal voting day is held on Saturday. But Benai Breath says that impacts Jews who observe Shabbat, as well as some Christian denominations like the Seventh-day Adventists. For provincial elections, BC elections handles this and they assure that there's a lot of advanced voting and mail-in voting. Be that as it may, it still means observant Jews have less opportunity, fewer days than others do. At the municipal elections, it's run by the various municipalities and they all have different rules, except it has to be on a Saturday for the final voting day. So we have a hodgepodge of regulations across British Columbia. Some communities allow lots of advanced voting, including on weekdays. Others allow very little advanced voting and some have it only on the Saturday before the Saturday vote. Some allow voting by mail and some do not. The Result of this is that uh, some people have fewer opportunities to vote than other people, and that's just not right. We talk to lots of different groups uh, here in British Columbia, faith groups, cultural groups, about voting and trying to encourage their members to participate. So always happy and encourage those kinds of conversations. Elections BC says it's met with members of the Jewish community in the past to discuss voting opportunities. Coming up, major turbulence for many, many travelers. We can get you out in 10 days. And like, you cannot strand me in Winnipeg for 10 days. The travel nightmare WestJet passengers just could not wake up from this weekend and the cascading fallout of a major system glitch. Plus. We've been raising funds uh, for my sister who lost her husband in May. The very personal mission of a personal trainer. Why he's pulling up to epic proportions to give back. That's coming up a bit later in the show. Stay with us. The travel turbulence continues for WestJet passengers this evening, more than 24 hours after a major system glitch left travelers in the lurch. Thousands of passengers were left stranded at airports across the country and beyond due to a system-wide outage. Tonight, the airline says the initial problem has been fixed, but the cascading fallout is now a whole other issue on its own. Craig Momney reports. I am so tired that <laughs> I can't even think. Margaret Davis had been stuck at Calgary International Airport for hours. I've been walking, 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 trying to figure out how I'm going to get out of here. 
Davis flew in Sunday morning on WestJet from Winnipeg. She says her flight to Calgary was delayed because pilots had to be flown in from Toronto. When she arrived in Calgary, she learned her flight to Edmonton was cancelled because it too didn't have the crew. And they told me that I could have a flight from here to Edmonton at 4 o'clock on Monday afternoon. She wasn't the only traveller impacted on Sunday as hundreds of delayed passengers filled the WestJet departures hallway looking for answers, wondering when they'll get home. We've never experienced this bad. We've had delays, but not to this extent. Smith and his wife were scheduled to arrive home in Ottawa Sunday night, but now he says they'll have to wait until Wednesday. We're a little bit stranded here in the city. Not a bad place to be. However, WestJet's system is down, crashed yesterday. According to WestJet Chief Operating Officer Diedrich Penn, these delays were caused by a system-wide outage. There was an issue with the cooling of our data center, and our, as a result, our data center overheated, and there was a, um, a com complete outage of our IT systems for nine hours throughout the airline. As a result, many of its aircraft and staff were in the wrong cities, impacting 240 flights and thousands of passengers. Penn says while the system remains unstable, WestJet is in the process of rebooking flights and accommodating passengers. We are trying to find uh, ground transport for them if that's needed and hotel nights if that's needed. WestJet has to either put these passengers on their own flights if one is available within nine hours or buy them an Air Canada ticket if a ticket is available in Air Canada, or buy them a Flair or Souk or whatever airline is available to get them home. Dr. Gabber Lukacs, the president of Air Passenger Rights, says aside from rebookings and accommodations, the outage could cost WestJet even more, depending on how long passengers are delayed. If it is over three hours, but less than six, it's $400. Six to nine hours, it's 700 Over nine hours, $1,000 in cash to the passenger. WestJet expects to have the situation resolved over the next couple of days but says it could see more cancellations on Monday and Tuesday before the system is fully stable. Craig Momney, Global News. The cause of an early morning fire at a vacant home in North Vancouver is now under investigation. Flames broke out in the 3200 block of Mount Seymour Park Drive early this morning. When crews arrived, the top floor of the house was fully involved and the firefight quickly became defensive. Investigators have been waiting for the structure to be deemed safe to enter before they can determine if anyone was caught in that smoke and those flames. In the Okanagan, several people are without a home tonight after a ferocious house fire in Coldstream this morning. As Jaden Wozni reports, the home's human occupants managed to escape the flames, but their pets did not. It is a complete loss. Just after 9.30 a.m., fire crews in Coldstream were dispatched to this home on Cherry Lane. By the time the crews arrived, the flames had taken over the home. It was a very hot, fast-moving fire. We could see it um, pretty much from the fire hall. And yeah, like I said, by the time we got here, the whole home was involved. As for the three residents who were home at the time of the fire... They did make it out safely. Unfortunately, um, their pets did not. Fundraising efforts have already started to help the family recover what they lost in the fire. In an online fundraising campaign, one neighbour confirmed the family's dog and cat were lost in the blaze. Meanwhile, neighbours who were home when the fire broke out describing what they saw outside their windows as crews rushed to put out the flames. Well, I just heard some people screaming and a dog yelping and uh, uh, some popping sounds. So I went outside to look and that's when I saw the fire um, on the deck. The place was in such black smoke and four explosions. It was terrifying for all of us neighbours. So it was a very traumatic day for a lot of people here in Cherry Lane. 
At this time, fire crews are still working to determine the exact cause of the blaze. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Coldstream. Coming up, the United Nations Climate Change Conference gets underway with a very notable Canadian absence. Why Justin Trudeau won't be attending this year's Global Climate Conference in Egypt. And who's there in his place, plus. This gives us the connections to work with each other and be like, all right, we have these ideas. We now have the resources to do them. Let's go do it. Students of strategy, the next generation vows to take tangible action on the climate crisis, even if world leaders won't. That's after the break. Stay with us. Scientists, environmental activists and world leaders have descended on Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt for a global talk on tackling climate change. The conference, also known as COP27. It gives me great pleasure to declare open the 27th session of the Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. This year's Canadian delegation includes local First Nation groups as well as environmental groups, but Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will not be in attendance. Hopes for any type of meaningful cooperation and consensus on tackling the climate crisis over the next two weeks are being challenged by current geopolitical realities like the war in Ukraine, soaring energy and food prices, and growing tensions between the West and Russia and China. And whilst I do understand that leaders around the world have faced competing priorities this year, we must be clear, as challenging as our current moment is, inaction is myopic and can only defer climate catastrophe. By now, British Columbians know firsthand just how catastrophic the impacts of climate change can be. All of us have witnessed, if not been directly affected by, the extreme storms, flooding, and wildfire seasons of recent years. That's the focus of a new area of study at UBC, where courses are now being offered to students looking to make tangible change through meaningful action. Krista Dow reports. From devastating wildfires to catastrophic flooding, BC has certainly seen its fair share of weather extremes. And atmospheric rivers and heat waves will only become more intense here and around the globe, according to a 2021 UN report, if immediate action isn't taken. And solutions to combat climate change now for the first time being conceptualized in UBC classrooms. More climate education is a big message we're hearing at UBC and we're hearing at universities around the world. We really need to educate tomorrow's leaders so they're prepared to address this huge challenge for all of us. The inaugural Certificate of Climate Studies and Action launched at UBC earlier this year. 40 students participated in a climate action lab with the goal of finding green solutions to real-world challenges. On Thursday, students pitched their ideas to the city of Vancouver. The topic given was the city of Vancouver came to us and was like, uh, we have, we're looking for ways to move citizens from being concerned to actively engaged and what's a form of education that you can you know work with that they were phenomenal they were creative and they were distinct there's nine different teams right now that are working um, on this challenge and we had nine different really creative solutions other courses offered include ways to tackle climate anxiety how to transition to green energy sources and the impacts of consumerism on the environment the class is a no-brainer for the students who were already deeply involved. 
Most of the climate initiatives on UBC were student-led and student-governed and student-everything. And this gives us the connections to work with each other. I think it's, it's a small part of, of the whole the whole ordeal of like getting students engaged and activated and doing something. Climate change is bigger than any one person and the actions that we need to take are bigger than any one individual. Finding ways to combat climate change, a collective responsibility with an assignment that will take years to solve. Krista Dow, Global News. Coming up, honoring the sacrifices of Chinese-Canadian veterans, an emotional learning experience for future generations and a lesson taught by those who serve. That's coming up after weather. Stay with us. Welcome back. And Yvonne is back with a full look at a pretty snowy and soggy forecast for parts of the province tonight, Yvonne. Yeah, Sarah, it seems like we only had a couple of weeks of fall and we're right into winter. It has officially arrived. We've got this cool Arctic air that's entrenched across the province. We've been seeing snowfall and we'll continue to track that with cold wind chills, especially along the north and central coast. Right now, though, on the satellite and radar, we've got a heavier pocket of rain. We can see that working its way just towards the west end, so a heads up there. Most areas across the island, once again, the area of concern will be the eastern regions of the island. That's where we're seeing the potential for some accumulating snowfall. Pockets of localized heavy snow could pick up overnight and take us in towards our Monday morning, so get those shovels ready. A quick snapshot of some of the temperatures across the province. We are going to see those strong outflow winds, and it's the north and central coast. We have those wind chills leading in towards our Thursday, feeling closer to minus 20. It is going to be chilly across the province, and combined with that moisture, that's where we're seeing the potential for some snow. Most areas for the eastern regions of the island, once again, tonight, 5 and up to 10 centimetres, an additional 5 centimetres for tomorrow. The interior will see upwards of 10 for most areas. We do have the potential to see those winds ramping up near Howe Sound. This will be leading in towards tomorrow, 16 up to 90 kilometres per hour. And along the north and central coast, it's coastal areas, sustained winds at 80 and gusts of up to 110 kilometres per hour through Wednesday and the wind chill feeling closer to minus 20. Here's what it looks like on the connector right now. And if you're travelling along the mountain passes. It'll intensify the snowfall this evening. We do have upwards of 20 centimeters for most areas and here's where the, the timeline is. This evening along the Coquihalla as well as the connector, 10 and up to 20 centimeters and through the day tomorrow we could still see an additional 5 and 10 if you're traveling along the connector. Should ease off though for most areas near the Kootenay Pass as well as the Rogers Pass but check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. This evening though that's we'll see some of the heaviest snowfall if you're traveling along the mountain passes. Now the northern half of the province, some sun Sunshine in the mix, but the temperature is chilly. We've got the wind chill into the double digits. Much of the southern half of the province will see some of that snowfall easing off, especially as we get in through the day. But it's settling in with Williams Lake only seeing highs up to minus 10. Along the island, the pocket and area of concern will be the eastern regions of the island. Most areas across the lower mainland, what we're tracking this evening is that pocket of rainfall heavy for a few spots. Should ease off through the day tomorrow, but we're still looking at a few wet flurries for the early morning hours. It'll be cold enough. And then as we get in through the afternoon, a bit breezy, gusts of up to 40, chilly over the next few days. Tuesday, Wednesday paired with that sunshine highs between 5 and 6 degrees. Sarah? Okay, chilly and sunny next week looks great. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, they put their lives on the line for Canada at a time when they were treated as second-class citizens. Ahead of Remembrance Day, Chinese-Canadian veterans received a special tribute today at Vancouver's Chinese-Canadian Military Museum. Kristen Robinson reports. These are some of the pilots. Some of them actually were, were killed in action. These walls tell the stories of bravery during discrimination. More than 600 Chinese-Canadians served in the Second World War some says veteran Paul Lee became prisoners of war. It's difficult for him to describe what his fellow Canadians endured 
in Japanese war camps. He saw a lot of Canadian POWs who were so malnourished. It was skeletal. It was so sad, so tragic. That sometimes I cannot even continue. Lee sharing this painful past with Chinese Canadian youth as the group pays tribute to veterans at Vancouver's Chinese Canadian Military Museum. It's very emotional because of the way we were treated before. Canada's first Chinese immigrants were subjected to a head tax for decades. Still, more than 200 volunteered for service during the First World War. Chinese Canadians only gained the right to vote after fighting in the Second World War. Very few people know what we have done. And now we are telling our story before it's too late. <laughs> so I feel like it is really important for us, especially as Chinese, to learn their history and to learn their struggles that they've uh, come, came through. Our youth uh, need to understand and know what had happened in history and what our ancestors had fought for and how today did not come easy. The hope is the youth, who owe some of their democratic rights to these veterans, will now carry the torch forward. We cannot forget what has happened in the past, and that's how we learn about the history, so that we will not make the same mistake in the future. Kristen Robinson, Global News. So important, a moving tribute, the first of many this week, of course, as we look ahead to Remembrance Day on Friday. Barry DeLay, good to see ya. See you. Uh, the party is still going on down at BC Place yes, tonight, I think. Yes, they started mm -hmm. early this morning, and when you win, when you win, the party just continues. You don't go, you, know, you don't get that sadness uh, after you've partied all day and your team loses. The Lions uh, put on a great show, especially Nathan Rourke. This kid is special. His, his foot, he had the surgery nine weeks ago. He, it, it was hurting today. It, it was killing him, but he still threw for 300 and some yards and a couple touchdowns because he's Nathan Rourke. We're going to have highlights. We had a big post-game report from J.J. on our, and the Seahawks also won. So it was a pretty good football day around here. So we'll have all that coming up. All right, a good football Sunday mm -hmm. for sure. Okay, thanks both of you. We'll see you soon. Coming up, the legacy of a good craft beer brewed right here in B.C. B.C. is kind of recognized as that province that originated beer and has probably the most experimental cutting edge, maybe the most advanced beer scene. We're diving into the archives and into the history of the art of brewing perfected by local beer fanatics in the 19th century. That's after the break, stay with us. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers, live on Global BC and BC One, Friday, November 11th from 10.30 a.m. Brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion. We remember to honour Canada's veterans. Well, BC has earned a well-deserved reputation for brewing some great craft beer. And as an extensive collection from the archives of Simon Fraser University shows us, that accolade is largely the result of a beer industry in this province that dates back more than 160 years to the 19th century. Here's Jada Rand with This is BC. It started as a craft beer project for SFU archivists, a call out to collect everything they could from BC's brewing scene. We have 
beer bottles, coasters, documents, architectural drawings, labels. You just realize the breadth of historical brewing in BC when you see how many breweries there were in the interior, how many up north, how many in Vancouver and Vancouver Island. In just over a year, it's grown to include files and photos dating back to the origins of BC's beer history and the independent brewers that opened shop in the 19th century. There were uh, coming up every every few years, starting in 1858 in Victoria, Vancouver, they really started cropping up after the Great Fire, so around 1887. Much of the collection chronicles the Renaissance period of the past 40 years that started with John Mitchell, who's credited as the first craft brewer in Canada. He opened Horseshoe Bay Brewing in 1982 with the aim of offering better quality to his customers. He was an English expatriate who knew good beer and did not want to uh, serve poor beer to the people that were coming from around the world for Expo 86. So that was his goal. Action! Some of the marketing campaigns over the years may be etched in people's memories. Good boy. But a lot of the history has been lost over the decades, which is part of the inspiration here, trying to uncover anything that can add to the story of beer in BC. Definitely there's a lot more out there in people's basements and closets that we're uncovering. Uh, this is really just the tip of the iceberg. It's also a tip of the cap to the brewmasters of today. There are now over 230 breweries in the province, winning awards every year and cementing BC's reputation as a leader in beer culture. BC is kind of recognized as that province that originated beer and has probably the most experimental cutting edge, maybe the most advanced beer scene. Quebec is great too, um, and I don't want to hear about Ontario. I think BC is the province of Canada that deserves that credit. Jay Durant, Global News. If you have a suggestion for a story about BC that Jay should know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. After the break, Barry's back with sports and a BC Lions home game to remember. Bring on the roar. Tens of thousands pack BC Place for the Lions' first home playoff game in six years. We've got the highlights and the party coming up in sports. Stay with us. Kick off the holiday season at Bright Walk in White Rock. On December 10th, join Santa, Elsa, a live performance by the Gingerbread Men, and more fun activities for kids and adults alike. Plus a coinciding sail pass by the International Yacht Club. Head to Oliver and Asoyas for the South Okanagan Fire and Ice Festival, bringing together food, wine, and culture as they celebrate the winter in the valley. More details at SouthOkanaganFireAndIce.com. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you by the BC Cancer Foundation, launching the most ambitious health campaign in BC's history. Together, we will go beyond belief. Welcome back. Barry's back. Okay, tens of thousands of football fans at BC Place yeah. to take out their money's worth, yeah, for sure. kind of like mm -hmm. old times. Maybe since the 2011 team that won the Grey Cup, I feel that excitement with these guys, Oh, too, so fun. They're just starting. All right, thanks, Sarah. The Lions uh, had a large, raucous crowd at BC Place today, 30,114 of them, hoping that they could be a, a difference maker in their Western Division semifinal against the Stampeders. The Lions, with plenty of optimism, with Nathan Rourke back at quarterback, making his first-ever CFL 
NFL playoff start. Lions bringing out Canadian royalty to sing the national anthem. Sarah McLaughlin, much to the delight of the fans, and Coach Campbell, who admitted afterwards he's a huge fan and was a bit starstruck meeting her after the game. First quarter, Lions ground game looking good. Early on, James Butler, 24-yard gallop, led to a field goal. And it was three all in the first. The Lions defense stepped up. They really held that Calgary ground game in check. And how about this on third and short? The Lions snuff out this play, make the stop, and take over on downs. That happened a few times today. The Lions defense making momentum swinging plays. Second quarter, Lions third and five at the Calgary 51. They basically tried to draw the stamps offside, and they did it. A very shrewd play. It led to a field goal, 6-3. Tough defensive battle, but Lions get some rhythm late in the half. Work to Keon Hatcher down to the 13-yard line. And then on the next play, Nathan with a little pump fake, then goes deep for Alexander Hollins all by himself at the back of the end zone. Touchdown, Lions 13-6, BC at the half. Now in the third quarter, First offensive play, Rourke, oh, the fans, by the way, just loving it. As we said, over 30,000, biggest crowd in a while there. Third quarter, first Lions offensive play, Rourke throwing it up high for Dominique Rimes, who elevates. That's a fantastic leaping grab, 37 yards. Lions, though, did not get any points out of it. Dave Dickinson in a gambling mood. Maybe that cost the Stamps a bit today. Decide to go for it again, third and two. Could have had a sure field goal. And the gamble does not pay off. Lions take over again. Then some razzle-dazzle on third and inches. Antonio Pipkin usually just sneaks it in. This time he's just playing sneaky. Fakes the run, finds Keon Hatcher for the touchdown. 20-6 Lions. Hatcher was a beast. Eight catches, 160 yards. A touchdown. The joint is jumping. The owner, Amar Doman, loving it. And the Stamps try to change things up. They bring in Bo Levi Mitchell at QB with Jake Mayer struggling. They did move him into the red zone, but then Matthew Betts buries him with the sack. Stamps have to settle for three. It's 20 to nine. Another big play by the D. Lions then drive the length of the field. Rourke, great throw. Brian Burnham with one of those vintage Burnham catches. Just would not be denied the touchdown. That's the dagger. 27 to nine. Lions, what a performance by this team. And uh, Nathan Rourke's parents in the stands, and they were loving all of this as well. 30-16 is the final in this one. The Lions are moving on to the Western Final next week in Winnipeg. What a day at BC Place. Rourke wasn't 100%, but he was terrific again, leading the Lions to victory. Jay Janauer with our post-game report from BC Place. Playing their first home playoff game here at BC Place since 2016, the BC Lions didn't disappoint. Over 30,000 fans watched Nathan Rourke throw for 321 yards. Keon Hatcher catching eight balls for 162 yards as the BC Lions beat the Calgary Stampeders and now head to Winnipeg to play in the Western Final. I'm proud of our defense um, and for our team to play from ahead is obviously better in that scenario of uh, canceling the run, but uh, obviously that was a big part of it was to control their running game and having our offense stay on the field. I don't know what the time of possession was, but I imagine that was pretty good for us. It feels like I played a full game. Um, you know what? Uh, we've got a couple days off. We've got the rest of the day off. It's an early game, so that'll play into our advantage and get ready for Winnipeg. So looking forward to that. We're together. We're together um, through thick and thin. Um, it doesn't matter we're up or down. We're going to stay together. Um, it doesn't matter who making the plays. We're all happy. Um, as long as we eat, we don't care who we eat. So as long as we're doing our job, man, and making these plays, winning these games, that's all that matters at the end of the day. So togetherness, I feel like. I think it's going to be good to have another week, you know, and hopefully we're 
practicing outside when it's a little bit colder here in BC and we can kind of get used to the, the elements a little bit because it's going to be cold, it's going to be loud, it's going to be a hostile environment, there's all those things, right? And so we've got to be ready for that kind of stuff. So for me, healing is just going to be part of that process, uh, but I look forward to it. So the BC Lions will celebrate this victory for a couple of days before returning back to the practice field on Wednesday. They'll fly off to Winnipeg on Friday, and it's a tall task taking on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who finished the regular season 15-3 and, and are looking to win the Grey Cup for the third straight year. From BC Place, Jay Janower, Global Sports. All right, in the East Semi, the Ticats in Montreal to face the Alouettes and a nice crowd for Montreal and the home team got off to a great start. Trevor Harris to Jake Winicky in the end zone. 7-0 Montreal. They got a couple of touchdowns in the first. They did pretty much all their damage in the first half. Walter Fletcher will take this handoff, takes it to the outside, and then will cut it back and take it in for another touchdown. 33-yard run. Alouettes win it 28-17. Montreal will meet Toronto next week in the East Final. Seahawks and Phoenix will take on the Cardinals. Second quarter, Hawks down 7-3. Geno Smith will go four yards to DK Metcalf. Does a great job to get both feet down at the back of the end zone. 10-7 Seattle at the half. Third quarter, Geno's pass this time is complete, but it's to the Cardinals. Pretty good athletic play there by Zaven Collins. 30-yard pick six. Cards back on top. 14-10, but Gino responds. That's what the good ones do. Takes the uh, Seahawks downfield and finds Tyler Lockett. Zips that one in from seven yards out, and it's 17-14 Seattle. And then the fine rookie, Kenneth Walker, just had a 12-yard run to get it down to the one, then finishes the job. Sixth touchdown this year, 24 14 Seattle, Arizona cut the lead back to three, but one more time, Seattle responds. Walker again, what a revelation he's been. Second TD of the game, Seahawks win again, 31-21. Fourth straight win, they are six and three. Seattle continues to lead the NFC West. Rams and Buccaneers, the last two Super Bowl champs, both have struggled this year, both just at three wins. Tom Brady's had a trying year on and off the field, but Brady adds to his legend again. How about another last-second game-winning touchdown pass? This one to Kate Otten. Brady also went over 100,000 career passing yards, most all-time, of course. Bucks win 16-13. Dolphins and Bears. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool traded to Chicago this week, making his Bears debut. Involved in a controversial play late with the Bears down three. It looks like blatant pass interference. Javon Holland involved in that coverage. He's from Coquitlam. Two BC boys in the middle of it in the NFL. Dolphins, though, hang on 35-32. Claypool, two catches in his Bears debut. If the Canucks are going to put a smile on Bruce Boudreaux's face, they need to stop blowing those big leads. They did it again last night at Rogers Arena, losing 4-3 in a shootout to Nashville after leading 3-0 after one. Canucks opened a tough five-game, eight-day road trip Tuesday in Ottawa. They did a lot of good things last night against the Preds, but couldn't hold a 3-1 third-period lead and ultimately got just one point when they should have had two. I think that sometimes it's like you're afraid to win and uh, uh, I mean we righted the ship after that and they didn't have a lot but uh, uh, it was too, too little too late. It's very hard to win in this league and you know the, the adversity we're going through it's good for us in the long run and this is going to be a process for us you know we're learning how to win and play 60 minute hockey like I said it's not all bad we got you know our last little run here last nine games have been pretty darn good so we're, uh, we're excited to go on the road and and especially after the last road trip, we're, we're eager to you know, play another level of hockey, and we believe we can. 
Well, according to Bayern Munich, Alfonso Davies' groin strain is not that serious, and they say he should be good to go for Canada at the World Cup. Now, whether that's wishful thinking, we will soon find out. Canada's opener just 17 days away against Belgium, but at least there is hope now that Davies can play. And we'll finish off with some Raptors. Pascal Siakam is going to miss a few weeks with an adductor injury suffered in Dallas Friday, but Fred Van Vliet is back after missing a couple games due to injury. He was outstanding, 30 points, makes the basket here and draws the foul for the three-point play, part of his 30-point uh, day. Then Van Vliet with the steal sends in OG Ananobi for the reverse jam, and the Raps win at 113. 104, Drake loving it in Toronto. Same two teams tomorrow in Chicago. Drake, of course, right. is the Raptors Drake global the ambassador and their biggest fan. All right, very cool. Thanks so much, Barry. Mm -hmm. Coming up, pulling up to give back. We've got a really inspiring story. Welcome back. An inspiring story now. A personal trainer in Vancouver is showing the true meaning of strength this weekend. Take a look. Since midnight on Saturday, Sarakai Zulgambari has been doing as many pull-ups as he can over a 24-hour period. The exhausting effort is all to raise funds for his sister, who's a recent young widow with four kids. The campaign started with Gambari rode 125,000 meters, which brought the fitness community rallying around him to donate to his cause. And now he's pulling up to give back, thanking everyone with his pull-up world record attempt, even though he knows it won't be officially recognized by Guinness. Honestly, I feel good. Um, I hope I, 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 I get it. Um, and of course, I'm not recording it, so it's officially not going to go on the Guinness Book of Record. Um, but it's just, it's just because of how much support this community has given me. I feel I want to give them something which is challenging that I'm not naturally going to do, but something, you know, worthwhile. Gambari initially tried going one pull-up every eight seconds, but he later readjusted to doing 20 consecutive repetitions followed by one one-minute break. Okay, I'm tired just watching that. Yeah, some, Good for Someone's him. going to need a shoulder massage. Yeah. <laughs> no Soon. kidding. Wow. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Uh, good luck to him. We'll have an update probably tonight as well. Uh, Yvonne, quick look at weather before we go. Uh, higher elevations, wet flurries once again. A few showers will be in the mix. We do have a few heavier pockets this evening, so do keep that in mind. But it's really the cold temperatures will be the big weather story. Arctic outflow winds, they'll be strong. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes, it's a significant amount of snow. Mm -hmm. Drive safe for sure. Thanks so much. That's all for us tonight. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here at 11, all three of us. Good night.